What's up, everyone? Martin Kessler here with 20 Minute Fitness. We're here to present to you science backed insights and technology to empower your health and fitness. Today, we have Melissa Urban, who's one of the creators of the popular Whole30 book and program on the show. As you learn from my conversation with Melissa, Whole30 is not a diet or weight loss program, but more of a nutrition detox. In fact, it is a program really focused on how food can impact you on the individual level far beyond weight gain and the metabolic health issues that come with that. Your nutrition and by extension your gastrointestinal tract may be linked to your ability to focus, energy levels, immunity and a whole range of health problems such as chronic pain, brain fog, headaches, skin rashes, stomach pain, and bloating, and much, much more. In this episode, you'll learn how the first 30 days of Whole30 will provide you with sort of a, well, plank slate or starting point that helps you figure out what foods are good and bad for you on an individual level. I guarantee you that even if you don't want to lose weight, you find this episode of interest because it will empower you to potentially conduct your own little experiment and cut out foods that your body may not be handling very well. Last but not least, a quick shout out to our sponsor, 20 Minute Fitness is brought to you by ShapeScale, the 3D body scanning scale that measures and visualizes your body composition in photorealistic 3D. More on shapescale.com. All right, let's roll the tape. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me, Martin. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you on here. But for the listeners who don't know you already, can you give us a quick intro who you are and what your background is? Yes, my name is Melissa Urban. I'm the Whole30 co-founder and CEO. I co-founded Whole30 in 2009, and I've written eight now books about the Whole30 program. Oh, wow. So, so what is the Whole30 program? Yeah. So if you don't know what Whole30 is, I describe it like a reset for your health habits and relationship with food. So the Whole30 is not a diet the way we typically think about diets. It's not a weight loss program. It's not a detox. It's not a cleanse. It's based on the foundation of an elimination diet, which is designed to help people identify foods that may not work well for them in their unique context. And how did you arrive at that? The Whole30 started as a two-person self-experiment. So my co-founder and I, back in 2009, were sitting around after a really difficult CrossFit Olympic lifting session and wondered what adjusting our diet and kind of cleaning up that last like 20% would do to our performance and our recovery. And so we came up with this framework that was based on an anti-inflammatory elimination diet. And we decided to follow it for 30 days. And I had such dramatic results in terms of my energy, my sleep my focus, my mood, my performance, my recovery. And most importantly, it had a really profound impact on my relationship with food and my cravings. So I decided to share about my experience on my little CrossFit training blog. And that was really the birth of the whole 30. Awesome. And how did you arrive like at 30 days, because I know like some elimination diets, they're more like 90 days or even longer than that. Yeah. So it's really important to note that Whole30 isn't a medical elimination protocol, right? So this is sort of a do it yourself that is cost effective and easy for people to do at home on their own. And 30 days is somewhat a, a kind of happy medium between how long it really takes to solidify a new habit, which according to habit research can be as short as eight days for a really easy habit, but take as long as eight months for something like quitting smoking, where you have a strong emotional attachment. So we picked 30 because it was long enough to see real dramatic changes as a result of changing the food that you put on your plate, but it also felt attainable. People feel like 
they could do anything for 30 days. Gotcha. So what did you end up eliminating? And has any of that changed like throughout your time of uh, working on this diet? Yeah, I love that you asked that question. The rules of the Whole30 have stayed remarkably the same since 2009 because the science hasn't really changed. And I want to note that on the foods that you eliminate on the Whole30, it's not that we think those foods are bad and you should never eat them. It's that these foods can be problematic according to the scientific literature and now 12 years of our clinical experience. And you won't know how they impact you until you take them out, reintroduce them and compare your experience. So on the Whole30, you eliminate all forms of added sugar, uh, even artificial sweeteners. You're not doing any alcohol for 30 days. You eliminate grains, including like wheat, rye, barley, even non gluten grains like corn and oats. You eliminate most forms of dairy and also legumes. So beans, peanuts, and all forms of soy. And those are out for the duration of the 30 day elimination phase, but they get added back in after the fact when you reintroduce. Gotcha. So you pretty much cut out anything that's processed in any kind of way. I'd say processed. That's it. Okay. Processed is kind of an interesting phrase because like the ground, the hundred percent grass fed ground beef that you buy at your local butcher is technically processed, right? It's not in its original form. Yeah. So if people, you know, we want to make sure that the program is as effective as possible, but also make sure people can do it. So there are some, what you might consider processed products that are totally okay on the whole 30, a 100% grass fed hot dog from Applegate, for example, or the processed applesauce, the 100% applesauce that you find at the grocery store. It's more about making sure that the ingredients that you're including don't include one of the things that mm. are out for your elimination phase. Gotcha. But it probably excludes because of that most ultra processed foods. Then, it right? does. Yeah, right. it does. Anything with added sugar, anything with corn, anything, you know, we also have a rule on the whole 30 that says that you're, even if it has technically compatible ingredients, like a coconut oil fried potato chip, that's not something that you eat on the whole 30, because we are so focused, not just on your health, but also your habits and your emotional relationship with food. And those potato chips and tortilla chips and cookies and brownies tend to be these like foods with no break that we over consume because of, you know, the way they're designed and the signals they're sending our body. And we want to try to change those habits on the whole 30. Gotcha. And, and what was like the basis, you know, like the foundation, the scientific foundation, because you mentioned that that didn't really change over the years, like for, for you, like to set the rule to avoid those types of foods? Yeah. So, you know, we've got over 400 references in my first book. It starts with food and you can certainly find a scientific reference to support the potential that dairy, for example, can correlate to things like skin issues or asthma or allergies or digestive distress. But it's very important to note that that's not a one size fits all prescription. Some people do great with dairy, especially full fat, especially grass fed. And for others, it doesn't work so well. So we do have this foundation of scientific literature on which we base the rules, but kind of on top of that pyramid is this idea of clinical experience. And after watching millions of people go through the whole 30 over the last 12 years, we can see that the foods that we eliminate often are problematic to varying degrees to folks. But the pinnacle of that period, that pyramid is really self-experimentation. This is where your elimination and your reintroduction comes into play. Because if the literature says that this food might be problematic and you eliminate it and reintroduce it and you do great with it, then you keep that in your diet because that works really well for you. And the Whole30 is really how you make that discovery. Right. And uh, how does it like differ from, you know, like other types of elimination diets? I'm not talking about medical ones, but like uh, I think it's called a food map diet, right? Like yeah. that is often used for GI issues, yeah. uh, which sounds somewhat similar at least. It is 
is there's a lot of overlap. So if you're doing a low FODMAP diet, for example, if you're doing an AIP or autoimmune protocol, there's going to be a lot of overlap in terms of the foods that we eliminate. The Whole30 tends to take a bit of a broader approach in that higher FODMAP foods can be problematic for some or nightshades can be problematic for some, but they're not so typically problematic that we want to leave them out on the Whole30. So what we want to do is leave as many food groups in as possible for you know, your convenience and for, to respect different cultures and different family traditions and your own preferences and use the elimination reintroduction to discover whether those groups are problematic for you. If you do the whole 30 and you discover that your digestion gets worse, the more cauliflower or onions or garlic you eat, then you can certainly eliminate those foods as part of your reintroduction or as part of your elimination as well. But we don't rule them out at the start of the program. Right. So we talked about like the things that you cannot eat. So like anything else that you should not do during those 30 days? We do have a rule actually, which is interesting to talk about on this podcast, that for those 30 days, you're not allowed to step on the scale. So we are not a weight loss diet. We do not focus on weight loss or fat loss or body composition. We focus on what we call non-scale victories. All of the other awesome things in your life that can change as a result of changing the food that you put on your plate. And what we find is that people get so attached to the scale when they are changing their diet that they can take any healthy eating protocol and turn it into a weight loss diet in a really unhealthy way very quickly because they're hyper-focused on that scale. So we just remove the scale entirely for those 30 days. If you want to weigh before and you want to weigh after, with some caveats, like totally okay. But for those 30 days, we ask that you think about everything but your body composition and give yourself a break from that kind of hyper-focus. Yeah, and from the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like a weight loss diet at all. It sounds really more like of a, well, first like a test, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you react by actually cutting out all the potentially harmful foods that can have, you know, effects on, well, your skin, your microbiome, your mm -hmm. your mood, your energy levels, et cetera, et cetera, may not even have anything to do with losing weight. Though I believe if you are on an ultra processed diet, probably will automatically lose weight no matter if you weigh yourself or not. But I can totally relate to the feeling that if you do weigh yourself, you can sometimes get obsessed and actually start with unhealthy behaviors. Yeah, like starving exactly. yourself. And, and that's what the diet is about, right? Like it's, it's, it's not really primarily weight loss. It's more like, it sounds more like it's a, it's a nice side effect. It might be a side effect for some people. It really might, you know, if you are eating more whole nutrient dense unprocessed foods and you are changing your relationship with food and your cravings are down, that might be a side effect, but you're absolutely right. What will happen is I used to hear testimonials in the earliest days of the whole 30. Someone would come to me and they'd say the program whole 30 didn't work. I didn't lose any weight. And I would say, okay, all right. But like, How's your energy? Oh, my energy's through the roof. I don't need like a 2 p.m. caffeine hit anymore. Okay. Um, how's your sleep? Oh, I'm sleeping like a baby. I've never slept so good before. Okay. How are your aches and pains? Oh, I like went for a walk the other day and I haven't been able to walk that long without pain in a long time. And I'm like, okay, but the whole 30 didn't work. And what we found was that people just got so dialed in on that scale that they kind of lost the forest for the trees, which are all of the other awesome ways that changing your diet can have a positive impact on your life. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about the things that you should actually do, because we talked about all the things that one should avoid. I mean, what can one actually eat? Yeah. So a lot of times I go through the no list and people are like, oh my gosh, what am I actually <laughs> eating? But if you look at the whole 30 recipes account on Instagram, there is no shortage of delicious wholesome, creative, flavorful foods. You're eating meat, seafood, and eggs, tons and tons of plants, lots of vegetables, any fruit you want, 
fresh herbs and spices, natural, healthy fats. And our the whole 30 recipe creatives get so incredibly creative with what they put together for meals. You know, there are these wonderful dishes that may be recreations of what your family dinners used to look like using inventive ingredients and in new ways, putting flavors together that you never would have imagined and tying it together with, you know, a dressing or a sauce or some sort of condiment. And because you're not counting or restricting calories, you're not hungry on the whole 30, you know, you're eating to satiety. So it really is a very delicious and satisfying way of eating for 30 days. But are, are you like supposed to eat still some sort of like healthy balance? I mean, would I still follow the whole 30 diet if I would be just eating bananas every day and nothing yeah. else? <laughs> so that's the, it's an interesting question. Technically you could eat nothing but bacon, sugar-free bacon, bananas, and like Lara bars and still technically be doing the whole 30. But of course that is not our recommendation. So we have a meal template where we say, you know, take a fist size serving or two, depending on your context of protein, fill the rest of your plate with vegetables, add some fruit, add healthy fats in some portions that we recommend to make sure you're not under eating and then top it all off with some fresh herbs and spices. So we don't expect every meal to look like this perfect Instagram worthy plate, but we do provide a lot of recommendations to make sure that you're getting enough calories and a balanced plate. Right. And then I hear this often from my clients and I'm sure you have no exception to that as well. But what would you tell somebody who's telling you like, hey, I can't cook, I don't have the time nor the skills for it. Normally, I would just order a pizza or something like that. What can I do now to still follow Whole30 and be successful? Yeah, it's remarkable how many people say the Whole30 taught them how to cook. In fact, our first book, the first cookbook called The Whole30 has this whole middle section called Cooking Basics, where it's like how to grill a chicken breast, how to roast some salmon, how to saute some vegetables, how to, you know, roast some potatoes. And I want people to understand that the Whole30 can be as simple as you make it. You don't need to make fancy recipes. You don't need to shop at a health food store. Just cook really healthy ingredients, stick it on your plate and tie it all together with a dressing or sauce. It's like barely a recipe. And that's honestly how I eat. You know, most of my meals are very, very simple, but I find them incredibly delicious because they're real whole food. My taste buds have adapted to really appreciate those flavors. And you can find or make delicious dressings or sauces from any kind of cuisine to add really easy pops of flavor to your meals. Do you have like a go-to recipe that can be cooked in under 15 minutes? Yep, I sure do. It's called ground meat with stuff. And <laughs> it's a template that I make every single week. I take two pounds of ground meat. So whether it's turkey or chicken or lamb or bison or beef, see, just cook it with salt and pepper, plain old. Then I'll take whatever vegetables I happen to have lying around in the fridge, peppers, onions, mushrooms, spinach, cauliflower, broccoli, you know, whatever. And I'll chop them all up and saute them in a pan also with no seasoning. And then I mix those two together. So now I have this big pan of ground meat and veggies that I can put over anything. I can put it over spaghetti squash, cauliflower, rice, spinach, roasted cauliflower, you know, mashed cauliflower or mashed potatoes and make any kind of meal I want. So I cook once and then I can throw a different kind of sauce over it. So maybe it's a pasta sauce over spaghetti squash. And now I have kind of an Italian theme, or maybe it's salsa and guacamole with lettuce wraps. And now I have these lettuce wrap tacos. So that's a template that I use every single week. I lean on that one hard. Yeah, that doesn't sound hard at all. And it sounds delicious. Yeah. And um, outside of diet, do you have any playbook for physical activity or is that 
something that Whole30 doesn't cover? You know, we don't cover it prescriptively because changing your diet, we have found, is definitely challenging enough. And I don't want people to take on too many new kind of goals all at once. That's sort of what happens with New Year's resolutions, right? We say Mm -hmm. we're going to do 10 things and then we end up doing nothing because of these like competing goals. So we don't talk about exercise specifically, but what we find is that by about the second week of the Whole30, if your energy is up, if you're sleeping better, if your mood is happier, it naturally makes you want to say, okay, well, what else could I do? Maybe I could start going for a walk after dinner instead of watching TV, or maybe I could eat my lunch outside, or maybe I will take that yoga class I've been thinking about. So people generally kind of naturally gravitate to moving more when they start feeling better because they've changed their diet. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think it depends also like where, where you start from, right? Like somebody may already be exercising and they're looking like to improve their diet, then they may not have to change anything about the exercise right now. I mean, that's maybe something to take on later because like mm-hmm. you said, you know, like if you take on too much, it's easier like to drop off altogether because you're just overwhelming yourself yeah. by picking up all these new habits and that can be quite tough to integrate into your lifestyle. Exactly. Yes. But we do have a lot of people who use the whole 30 because they are athletic and because they are, you know, competitive in a sport or competitive in the gym. And they really want to dial in their performance and especially their recovery. And an anti-inflammatory diet is a great way to improve your training without changing a thing to your exercise routine. So What happens after the 30 days? So after the 30 days, you're going to do a very careful and systematic reintroduction as we've talked about. And we've got this 10 to 14 day reintroduction plan all laid out for you where you reintroduce one food group at a time, like a scientific experiment, as you mentioned, and see how that food impacts you. You're going to kind of compare your experience. Once you're through reintroduction, you now have this awesome playbook about how individual food groups work in your own environment. And then you get to decide for yourself which foods you want to bring back in and which you want to exclude. So we call that your food freedom. In my food freedom, life after my Whole30, I eat oatmeal every day. I eat white rice every day. I eat popcorn pretty regularly, Justin's peanut butter cups occasionally, because I have figured out that the those foods work really well for me and I can include them in my diet and still feel exactly as good as I want to feel. And I know that there are certain things like goat cheese, for example, that I need to leave out because they just don't work for me. So it's how everyone kind of gets to use their whole 30 to create the perfect long-term sustainable diet for them. And um, do you just introduce like one food and then you, I don't know, like you, you try that for a couple days or like how much time should one give one like before re- starting to re- reintroduce something? else? Yeah, that's a good question. Our reintroduction protocol is you reintroduce one food group on one day and you eat something from from that food group with every single meal. So if you're reintroducing dairy, you might have some milk with breakfast in the morning. You might do yogurt in the afternoon with lunch. You might have sour cream or cheese with your dinner. And you're going to reintroduce enough of that food to really challenge your system. So it's not just like a little sip. You're really going to want to eat enough of that food group to see how it impacts you. Then you're going to return to the whole 30 for two or three days in between. So that if you do have negative results, you can pay attention to what those results are, but then let them settle back down before you bring in your next food group. So it really is structured like a scientific experiment. And and what could be some of those potentially negative results? Oh boy, it could range from (laughs) digestive issues. So, you know, people have been walking around feeling great. Now all of a sudden they're bloated again or constipated or diarrhea or any sort of digestive issue. Maybe your skin breaks out. Maybe you notice that joint pain and swelling comes back. You might end up with, you know, you might get seasonal allergies again, where all of a sudden you're stuffy and maybe mental focus or performance. You may start to feel that 2 p.m., you know, slump with your head on the desk again, or your sleep becomes disrupted 
adopted, we have this huge kind of checklist of things to pay attention to during reintroduction that might not be so obvious, but if you're really paying attention, you might notice like, oh yeah, I didn't sleep as well last night. And I wonder if it's because I ate this. Right. And like, what, what do you see like on average then? Like how much do people end up eliminating long-term? So it really varies. I do find in general that most people keep the bulk of their diet whole 30 compatible, meaning like they just continue to cook whole 30 compatible meals, meat, seafood, eggs, lots of vegetables, healthy fats, because it works really well for them. And by 30 days, it's like pretty easy to put those kinds of meals together. And then they might add in things that they have discovered work for them. So maybe they add in a side of cheese or they add in a gluten-free roll or a piece of sourdough bread, if that works. But generally that's what most people do. Occasionally people have such strong reactions to certain foods that they leave it out of their diet entirely because they know if they eat it, it triggers a migraine or it triggers that, you know, rheumatoid arthritis to come back. We've had a few people mention that they discovered they were celiac because of the whole 30. It didn't occur to them to go get tested. And their gluten sensitivity was so strong that they went into the doctor and sure enough, you know, it came back celiac. So it can really kind of range the gamut, but that's what your individual food freedom is all about is figuring that out for yourself. Right. And uh, so what's your take uh, regarding legumes? Because that's another thing that has to be eliminated at least during the first 30 days. And it's something that especially people on a plant-based diet often rely on to get some proteins into the diet, especially yeah. those that don't eat dairy and eggs. Yep. So you really can't do the whole 30 as written if you are a vegan, because we do eliminate basically every plant-based protein source. I do have a vegan reset outlined in the book, Food Freedom Forever. So it takes the whole 30 principles and it applies it to a vegan framework. And we're actually working on developing some new resources for our vegetarian and vegan community right now. Legumes tend to be one of those things, especially things like beans, black beans, pinto beans, white beans, that tend to be the least problematic for people, unless you're talking about digestion, right? They do sometimes have, they're a high FODMAP food, they can lead to digestive distress, but for many people, they find those foods tend to be the least problematic. So I know a lot of people do add mm. beans back in. I can eat them occasionally and I really enjoy them, but if I eat too much, I get that same digestive issue. So for me, it's kind of all about the dose. Right. And what's your take towards even going one step further and taking something like a antibody test, like an IgM or IgE test? Like I did that once. And I also realized that I did have quite a good amount of antibodies towards almonds as well as mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was vanilla. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Like our body reacts yeah. to all kinds of foods, but sometimes they can also lead to, well, symptoms that we would prefer not to have, you know, like uh, skin yeah. issues or uh, IG issues. For sure. So those tests, I think can be, they can be helpful, but they can also be problematic in that if you're going into these tests with like a leaky gut scenario where your gut is not healthy and things are getting into the bloodstream where they don't belong, it can artificially tag certain things as problematic when they're not necessarily problematic. It's just that your gut's very unhealthy. So the tests can be expensive. There's a barrier to entry to them and you need to be able to interpret them appropriately. I really like, and I think medical providers also agree that these, this basic elimination diet is kind of like a really solid baseline for identifying food sensitivities. And very 
very often people will do the whole 30 and they'll identify something like almonds doesn't work for them because all of a sudden on the whole 30, they're eating a lot more of them and they're discovering, you know, a digestive issue or an inflammatory issue. If you get through the whole 30 and you're still having some problems, maybe a test like that or working with a functional medicine doctor would be a great first, you know, next step. But I think an elimination diet is just like a really solid baseline for getting 80% of the way towards identifying what does and doesn't work for you. Right. And um, what's your take regarding what, what some critics would argue against elimination diets that they can also permanently or semi-permanently at least alter your, your gut's flora by, you know, eliminating also some enzymes or microbes that were actually used to process, say, dairy. And, and now you haven't eaten any dairy for like 30 or 60 days. And then once you start reintroducing them, it actually becomes more difficult for your body to process them. So I think there's a couple of things to that. First of all, eliminating a food for 30 days is not ever going to cause an actual intolerance where there was none before. Like that's just not something that happens in the body. What can happen is that people perceive when they reintroduce a much stronger reaction to that food than they used to pre whole 30. And part of that sometimes is an awareness issue where, you know, if you're just walking around all day, every day, and your stomach just always hurts a little bit, or your digestion is always off, that just becomes your normal. And you don't even notice it until you start to feel better. So once you feel better and reintroduce that food and you go back to your stomach hurting, you're now a lot more acutely aware of how it feels. The other thing that can happen is your body can create protective mechanisms to protect you against some of these foods to which you're sensitive. So for example, your gut biome changes, your mucosal lining in the gut might get a little bit thicker. And after 30 days of not eating those foods, those things go away. So when you do reintroduce them, that reintroduction can be a little bit more painful. I don't think you're going to cause any permanent changes in just 30 days of elimination. And the whole 30 isn't meant to be done forever, but it might highlight areas in which your body was overcompensating. And when you reintroduce now, you're like, oh, okay, maybe that was problematic before. And I just didn't realize how problematic it was. Right. So for our listeners who may want to give, you know, the whole 30 diet a, a chance, maybe you can still talk to them uh, directly, like just explaining like who stands really to benefit the most from trying Whole30 and, and why they should try it. Yeah. So a lot of people do come to the Whole30 because they have a, an issue, a health issue that they want to try to figure out if they can improve through their dietary changes. So again, maybe it's energy, maybe it's sleep, maybe it's aches and pains or some kind of inflammatory condition or an autoimmune or chronic illness, but you don't have to be sick to benefit from the Whole30. I think there are people who have just accepted this idea that like, well, as I get older, I just slow down and I don't feel as good. And that's just what happens. And I don't think that that has to happen. I think that you can come to the whole 30 and see what your body can do in terms of energy and sleep and mood and focus and performance in life and with your kids and with your family and really create a new baseline for normal, a new baseline for how good you can feel. And then base all of your kind of dietary and lifestyle choices off of that new heightened kind of degree of good in your life. I think it's a really worthy experience for just about everyone. Yeah, I love that explanation. It's, it's, it almost sounds like a cleanse, right? Like you take everything out that, you know, human mankind has introduced in the last 100 years through a lot of the processed foods that we would naturally not encounter. And you kind of go back to the basics. And then you yeah. slowly start adding them back in and you really explore, okay, what's my baseline? How does that compare to once I start adding back other foods one by one? Yeah, I like that. Exactly. 
and not just physically, also emotionally and also mm-hmm. psychologically. You know, these foods that we're eating now have such a psychological hold on us because our biology is hardwired to crave sweet things and fatty things and salty things. And the food scientists know this and they design these foods to be overconsumed. And then the way they're marketed to us and the way yep. society pressures us to eat them, like we have this really dysfunctional often relationship with food. And we don't really have a lot of other coping mechanisms because food or alcohol are so easy and so societally acceptable. And that can be a huge part of the Whole30 journey as well is kind of detaching or decoupling this need for food or alcohol when you're anxious or lonely or stressed and, and really discovering other ways to self-soothe and show yourself love. That's a, that's a big part of those 30 days. Yeah, a lot of those substances that you mentioned, you know, like sugar and alcohol, they do have some addictive component to them. And it's so hard to really know what it's like without them if, if yeah. you don't you know go cold turkey for some period of time because otherwise yeah. you're always going to have some level of craving i think yeah and, and you're it's, not going to know what it's going to be like they're designed they're designed yeah. to do that you're, they're trying to tell you that you should moderate foods that have been designed to make you overconsume. so it's just a really you know people feel like they fail when they try to moderate or limit added sugar or alcohol or processed carbs and it, honestly they're just setting themselves up for failure with this idea of moderation i like the whole 30 as a reset yeah. for that very reason yeah yeah i have to say i I personally don't prescribe to the mantra of, you know, a doctor telling you, oh, you can just eat anything you want to eat just in moderation. It doesn't yeah. work like that. We're not no. wired that way. No. If it worked, we would all be super healthy because that's what people have been telling us. It's all about portion control and it's all about moderation. That's what we've been hearing for decades and it's not working. Yep. All right. So if our listeners want to learn more about the Whole30 program, where can they find more info? Yeah, everything is just at Whole30. So W-H-O-L-E and the number 30. Our website is Whole30.com. The program is completely free. So you don't need to buy anything except the food you eat. We've got a ton of free resources on the website. We do have some books if you want to find all your detailed info all in one place. And you can find us at Whole30 and Whole30 Recipes on Instagram for tons of free inspiration. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. Yeah, thanks, Mark. That was a really good discussion. We definitely see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And that was Melissa Urban. I think it's kind of revealing how similar Whole30 is to, well, say a truck detox. You know, just like cocaine, tobacco, alcohol, video games, and social media, food can be unwittingly used for pleasure or say emotional comfort, right? And our industrialized food system has definitely been exploiting our senses and emotional hardwiring to eat a lot of really, really crappy food, right? So even though Whole30 is not strictly about weaning yourself of processed foods, as you've heard from Melissa, going through those first 30 days that are, I think, kind of restrictive, you definitely find yourself without any ultra-processed foods. And that really allows you to reevaluate your relationship with food and probably become a bunch healthier in the process. Of course, I think that's still the easy part. The hard part is really to make some of those changes in diet permanent. And that's not an easy feat in today's world and society, right? But that's a whole nother story, I think. Anyways, for more on Whole30 and elimination diets in general, check out our show notes at 20minute.fitness. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kessler.io. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Whole30 program 
and whether you've tried it or are thinking of perhaps trying it in the future. Also, if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Your rating and review really helps other listeners to learn about our show. And of course, your feedback is always highly appreciated. If you've done that already, please consider telling a friend or family member about the show if you think they'd get something out of it. This is Martin Kessler, 20 Minute Fitness is mixed by Lila Lasso and produced by Shape in San Francisco. As always, thank you for your continued support and until next time.